Hello, everyone. This is Amy Zirkel. You're listening to Transaction Trending, the official podcast of ETA. Thanks for tuning in. Software is going vertical, and it's taking payments with it. But monetizing payments is costly, it's time-consuming, and as any listener of this podcast surely knows, it's kind of complicated, too. On this episode, I sat down with Richie Serna. He's the CEO and founder of Phoenix, a San Francisco-based startup that works with SaaS companies to help them do their payments. Let's take a listen to our conversation. All right. Well, Richie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, So you come to the payments industry with an interesting background, maybe a little different that a a lot of other payments professionals uh, possess. You have a a degree in government from Harvard. In addition to a professional background and, and work in finance and political campaigns, and you spent some time working as an engineer before you founded Phoenix. So can you take us through your career and your journey to uh, to the creation and establishment of Phoenix? Absolutely. First off, thank you for having me. Very excited to be on the podcast with you today. We've been very proud members of the ETA now for, for a number of years. But uh, to your question, yeah, I definitely have sort of a, a non-traditional and non-linear path uh, to the payments world. And I think that if you ask a lot of payment professionals, um, some of them even just got roped in, like my co-founder, Sean, uh, setting up terminals uh, when they worked at banks, and that's kind of how they got in the payment space. I actually uh, uh, studied uh, political science ba- back at Harvard and, and afterwards decided that I wanted a little bit of diversity in terms of my first career uh, um, role, and I went into management consulting uh, where I was working with financial institutions and tech and telecom companies. So my first case was actually at American Express where we, we were exploring how to bring some of their loyalty point programs into Latin America. Ended up working with a number of other financial institutions and thought maybe after consulting, I could get into private equity, growth equity, really sort of try my hand at the investing space. And it was there that I sort of started to catch the the startup bug. I started to go early and earlier into looking into venture capital firms, looking at, you know, reading all the, the tech blogs and really decided that at one point, you know, what better way to be an investor than to actually have been an operator and a founder of a company. And so I talked to a few of my buddies, talked to them about, you know, some of my ideas that I've been working on, and they all thought they were kind of cool, but they realized that I didn't have, one, the technical chops to be able to build any of these uh, ideas, and two, I didn't have necessarily the backing for a friends and family round, right? Um, They were quite blunt and said, hey, your parents aren't rich, so who's going to give you the money to get this started? And so I really started to think hard about how could I go out and start my own company and read about how people were learning software engineering out in San Francisco. So I quit my job, moved out to San Francisco, lived in a hacker house with, I think, 30 uh, people living in bunk beds, all learning software engineering. And the first person I got introduced to in San Francisco was one of the co-founders of a company called Balance Payments. So this is back in 2012. Um, I didn't know anything really about payments uh, and uh, didn't really think that there was a tremendous amount of innovation that was going on, but just immediately hit it off with the co-founder. And really what Balance was, was the first payments API for marketplaces. And if you start to think about it, right, um, before sort of eBay um, and a few of the other online marketplaces over the, that were started over the last 10 to 15 years, there really wasn't a payment model for marketplaces, right? Traditional e-commerce is sort of a many-to-one relationship, right? Many buyers and one seller. Think about Nike or any e-commerce provider selling widgets online. But with you know the introduction of Airbnb and Lyft and Uber, uh, crowdfunding platforms, 
this sort of wave of dual-sided commerce, there was really a gap from a technical perspective, and that's what Balance did. And so that's re really one where I caught the bug for, for the payments industry, but also for, for software engineering. Um, and I think that was kind of where I went down the rabbit hole in payments, just because there's so much to learn. So, so what was your aha moment for founding Phoenix? Um, so you spent time in a hacker house. Software has been your gateway <laughs> drug to payments. Uh, how, and how do you get to Phoenix from, you know, your time in a bunk bed in a hacker house? So uh, right around 2015 is when Balance ended up exiting to Stripe. So Stripe now has this sort of Stripe Connect product. Uh, before that, they were just servicing, you know, traditional e-commerce. Uh, and as we uh, started to roll off all of our customers onto Stripe, I was actually one of the, the engineers who was leading the migration over. And I started looking at sort of the transactional volume, going into our database, looking at the sort of trends that we had. And funny enough, the fastest growing customers that we had weren't actually marketplaces or the crowdfunders who were out raising tons of, of rounds from the VC world. It was these vertical SaaS platforms, right? We had one customer who was uh, providing software to the vineyard industry. So if you think about it, most of these vineyards in NAFA are not going to build their own software for managing their, you know, their e-commerce experience, uh, the payment processing components, or even the actual website. And this company was doing a tremendous amount of volume. Another uh, provider was in the CrossFit gym space, and one was in the tourist industry. And really, that's where we started to see that you know, payments was going vertical. Um, followed by the fact that with the announcement that we had exited, a lot of these vertical software companies started reaching out to us asking, hey, we love that technology that you built back at Balance. How about you come in-house and build it for us, right? And that's really where we started to realize that it was, there was a tremendous amount of technical challenges to bringing your payments back in-house. And so we were actually a payment facilitator back at Balance. And so that's really where we started to understand, one, the technical challenges, but two, the operational challenges. And so... Understanding both of those sort of gaps in the market, I got together with my co-founder, Sean, who actually started the payment facilitator group at Vantage. Uh, so if you guys have heard the term payback, sure. uh, payback is actually trademarked or was uh, trademarked by uh, Vantive, and he was one of the, the, uh, the team members who actually trademarked it. Um, and he saw it from the other side. And so really what we thought was, what if we bring together the best in class Silicon Valley technology with that deep domain expertise of having worked on the other side of the table? And that's really where Phoenix was was founded. So it's real, and it's about really um, building a, a a deep product line serving specific verticals. And you mentioned you mentioned vineyards. So where is and and yes, we we at ETA have been spending a lot of time around payment facilitators, and 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 anybody that reads Payments Trade Press knows this is truly a growing and emerging area. So. Can you share with us a little bit about your business model and what what it is that makes Phoenix unique in the market? I think one comment that I wanted to, to touch on was you mentioned you know this sort of trend in payment facilitation, especially as it relates to the ETA. You know, I've gone to ETA Transact now probably for the last four or five years, and there's now a specific track just for payment facilitation. And the first year that I went, the attendance was decent at that forum. Now it's standing room only. It is the most packed event at the entire conference. And there's people from not only vertical software companies, there's people from the VC world, people from the startup world. Um, there are private equity firms who are attending these conferences also just so they can really try to understand this new and emerging uh, sort of model. So I think that's truly exciting. And one of the things that's been exciting to see over the last you know, five or six years, just the, the excitement that's coming around in the same ecosystem. 
in terms of of how we provide uh, a differentiated product product. And 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 what makes what is what makes Phoenix unique? What's your value proposition? Yeah, so I think one thing we, we like to highlight is that we are not a payment company. We are a payment infrastructure company, right? So that means that we're not taking basis points, we're not taking on risk. We're licensing out all the tools and components and products that would be necessary to stand up a payment company. So whether you need a vault of stored credit cards, whether you need integrations to the KYC uh, and terrorist watch list providers, whether, whether you need reporting UIs for your submergence, you can get and license all those components from Phoenix. Um, and a big part of that is that the way that our pricing model works, right? We license out our software in a very traditional sort of enterprise SaaS model with a monthly licensing fee and various usage fees as well. Uh, but we're never taking basis points. That's a big reason for companies entering into the payment facilitator model is so that they can recognize that margin. These companies are looking for better ways to be able to provide the best user experiences for their customers, but also to increase their margin. And so we allow our customers to stand up their payment facilitator program in two months as opposed to the three years of building it all in-house. So what types of companies are coming to Phoenix and using your products and services? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're, we have some of the, the most diverse customers that you see. I think you're starting to see that every single vertical is looking to, to verticalize their payment stack. Um, one of our partners that, that, that we're really proud of is Club Essential. They provide software to the country club and the gym space, right? If you think about it, each country club is not going to build their own software to manage online memberships. They're not going to build software to manage the bars, the, the golf club, their fundraising tools. And instead, they can get that all in one out-of-the-box solution from something like a Club Essential. Right? And so I think what you're starting to see is that every vertical has this. Right? This trend is, is happening incredibly fast. Right? And people aren't looking for you know, generalizable horizontal solutions. They want verticalized workflows, verticalized experiences, and verticalized tooling. And that's really what our customers are able to build. Rather than having to build up all of the infrastructure uh, that we provide, they can focus on the front-end UI experiences. So in terms of if you, if you step back and you look at the landscape, who do you see as your competitors here? How do you perceive your competition? Great question. So to be told, I don't think that anybody's really offering a solution like ours. I think that really what, what we've always been looking at is um, not necessarily competitors are, are really alternatives, right? And so that really comes down to engineering teams who historically want to build everything in-house. Um, someone who makes the decision, yeah, I want to become a payment facilitator. They'll have a pretty strong engineering organization that they want to decide, are they going to build or are they going to partner? And I think, you know, as you start to see, uh, it's a very similar trend to what AWS was uh, a few years ago, right, where everybody would manage their data centers on-premise. Um, they'd have a whole team dedicated to that. And very quickly, they recognize that they'd rather allocate those engineering resources to other core components of their platform and their product. So instead, they outsource that now to AWS. I think that's exactly what you're going to see in this space, is that people understand that payments is going to be a critical part of their infrastructure, but they don't want to build it, right? They'd rather focus on what's going to move the revenue, what's going to move um, differentiated user experiences, and that's not going to come down to the KYC tooling and, and components that operate behind the scenes. And, and, and so as you begin to look at, at the competitive environment, where do you see the, the competitive landscape shifting or changing? I guess I imagine there's going to be other new entrants who are going to see this market opportunity and, and want to build either sort of copycat products or, or get in the space. I think the truth be told is that 
the barriers to entry end up being very difficult. We talk about this with all the customers who you know, are looking at building their payment facilitator platform. If you want to do this in-house, you absolutely could. But you're looking at anywhere between three to $5 million of upfront investment. You're looking at two to three years of development work. You're looking at hiring 10 to 15 engineers who, once you build it, not like they can move off and just work on other products. They have to continue to maintain these platforms. You're looking at investing tremendously into all of the compliance requirements. And so I think that like the, the reality is for people to get into this space, it's going to take them a long time. It took us a long time to get started, and we invested in that infrastructure very early on. So we understand that, that you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the space, and it's going to continue to be very exciting. Payment facilitation, I view, as being just in its earliest innings. But I think that as long as we stay focused on who we are and building the best-in-class product, we'll continue to stay out of the market. So you're, you're running a business. You're achieving success. You're young. Um, what what keeps you up at night? What what is that that what are those points that really kind of cause you maybe to to hit pause or think about kind of the next step for your organization? What truly what keeps you up at night? The truth of the answer is it's probably reading other API designs. <laughs> I really really geek out on reading reading. It's, I'm not kidding you. It's, it's kind of weird. Uh, whether it's like KYC APIs or compliance APIs. Uh, a few days ago, I was like up all night reading like Oracle APIs for some of their weird accounting systems they've built long ago. And I just find it fascinating. That's probably where I spend a good chunk of time. Uh, but when it, it's thinking about the business, right, I think the, uh, the truth is there's no shortage of opportunity in payments today, right? It's about thinking about where do you strategically invest those resources and ensuring that you're thinking about the business in a long-term perspective. We see how exciting the payments world is and how exciting it will continue to be. There's always opportunities in cross-border, international. There's opportunities to build out you know, other underwriting and risk tools. And it's really about just staying focused. If you prioritize everything, you really haven't prioritized anything, right? And so it's really thinking strategically about where we're going to put the limited resources that we have and invest in those to build, again, the best-in-class product. Right. And it, that refinement and that focus, I think, is really what allows you to achieve success and enable um, your business to grow and thrive. Because if you're, if you're sort of, if you're all over the place, you're not going to be effective really at, at anything. So, so I know, I know APIs and software clearly excite you. They have to, because it's really the foundation of what, (laughs) of what you've done to, to build this, this, this business. What other things excite you in the, in the payments industry? And it doesn't have to be tied to anything Phoenix is doing now or, you know, but but just as a as an industry executive and observer of trends, what excites you the most about the payments industry? I mean, I really do think that this this wave of, of verticalization, payments, and payback is exciting in and of itself. I think that you know you're just starting to see, as I mentioned before, the earliest innings. If we go beyond that, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the compliance as a service space. Our vision is that basically every software company will become a payment company. Right, you think about Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, uh, Shopify. Right, they're all payment companies, really at their core. Even if we don't think about them that way, um, and as they increasingly get into the payments and fintech and financial services products, what are going to be the tools um, that can really solve those compliance challenges? Right, those don't just simply go away. And if those aren't their core competencies, they don't want to solve it by gi- building out these sort of giant mechanical Turks or throw bodies at it. And so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in that space, whether it's solving for the 
um, governance and compliance requirements related to PCI, to AML, to OFAC screening. There's just a lot of opportunity in those spaces. And, and it's exciting to see some of the tools that are coming out in Silicon Valley today. It's it's fascinating, and it and it really does create such such new opportunity for 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 areas and subject matter that I think historically have often you know evoked a groan, but but <laughs> really are at the right when the minute you start talking about compliance and security, yeah. everybody is like ah. Oh. But what you're talking about <laughs> is 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 truly essential to 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 moving the industry forward collectively. We at Phoenix really pride ourselves in having a, a culture of, of compliance. And uh, if you talk to our our head of compliance, uh, Gurpal, I mean, he has a passion for the craft, right? If you talk to him, he doesn't grow. He, he geeks out over it. And I think that's something that's really unique about our company. Uh, and it's also one of the reasons why we ended up investing in bringing together and putting together a professional services group. Because a lot of it is, you know, can seem like a black box and it's very difficult to figure out what of these, you know, thousand rules and, and regulations really applies to you. And so while we can solve it for the technical components of our platform, we really wanted to help our, our customers with really a, a white glove service to get them set up as quickly as possible, right? Allowing them to kind of outsource the development of their policies and procedures, their submerchant agreements um, to someone who's already done this before. So uh, we don't groan, we, as I said, <laughs> we geek out on that stuff too. So, and I've had the pleasure to geek out with Gurpal, which sounds like the name of a show. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but truly, so yes, you all, you all have my heart. You do. Um, so, so Richie, you mentioned, um, Sean, I think earlier that, and, and, and you guys have, you have an office in San Francisco, you're in Cincinnati. Can you share a little of the background of how you, how you, how did you guys meet and how, how did, how did this all kind of come about? We were a payment facilitator back at Balance. Uh, we first started off with Chase Payment Tech. We moved to Wells Fargo for Stata, and then ultimately landed, ended up over at Vantage, which is where I got a chance to meet Sean. Um, we used to joke that Sean was one of the suits that used to come in to visit us <laughs> at our old balance offices, and uh, just really hit it off with him. I think we thought about payments in the same way. We thought about you know the macro trends in a very similar fashion, and and really wanted to work on something together. Um, finding a co-founder who really kind of balances out your skill set. Um, and gaps in, in establishing that trust really early on is absolutely critical. Uh, and I think that's what we found in each other. And, and we like to joke that we're each other's work wives. Uh, <laughs> and so he's, he's been an absolutely, he's been an absolutely great uh, business partner, friend and mentor uh, to me throughout you know, the last few years. And then in terms of the, the question about you know, Cincinnati and San Francisco, when we first got started, it was outside of, uh, of my living room in, in Chinatown uh, where I was living with uh, uh, six other gentlemen. Oh my gosh! And, but you got uh, out of the hacker uh, house. That was good. <laughs> yeah, so I moved, yeah, I moved from a thirty-person apartment <laughs> or hacker house to a seven-bedroom or seven-person one. So I moved on up, and uh, it was me and my my dogs who first got started, uh, and John out of Cincinnati. And I I tried very very hard to convince them to move to San Francisco, and then he you know made a really great point of look where you live and look where I live. I don't think I want to go live with you know six or seven other people. I'm trying to start a family, which made a ton of sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, being on the road uh, all the time, especially given the space that we're in, it's a lot easier for him to be able to move out of, out of Cincinnati and travel across the country. Most of our customers, surprisingly, aren't in San Francisco. It's all around the country, so we're on the road a lot. Uh, and then secondly, obviously having Vantage, you know, now WorldPay or mm -hmm. uh, FIS, FIS. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> FIS in your backyard 
uh, it's a great, great breeding ground for a lot of talented payment expertise. You have Fifth Third there as well. So uh, we've really been able to start an incredibly strong team over there. That's exciting. So how do you, how do you create a, a collaborative environment? Because you've got, you've got folks in Cincinnati, you're in San Francisco, and people in San Francisco. How do you, what's your leadership style? Can you share yeah. a little bit just sort of on self-reflection? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, it was something that was very much an iterative process when you start to have a remote team. You really start to understand where communication breaks very early on, and you start to put in a lot of structure and a lot of process, not necessarily overly structured or, or, or too much process. But, for example, we really instituted early on that all of our calls would not be, you know, traditional conference calls, but they would all be video conferencing. Um, just to ensure that we were all staying engaged, that we had that face-to-face interaction, uh, and that people weren't multitasking. So anybody who was remote, um, if you didn't have great Wi-Fi, we'd upgrade you. We'd make sure that you had a great camera, and that would help set us up for success. We start every single Monday uh, with an all-hands, the entire team. We will give one sort of a general status update of the company, what went well the week before, what are the big sort of rocks and focus areas for the upcoming week, and every group function uh, manager will actually present their highlights as well. So I think really trying to think about communications, not only from an external comms perspective, but also internal comms, is incredibly important. And then apart from that, it's really trying to build out the leadership and management team across the organization. And so really finding those senior leaders who can build out their orgs that you don't have to micromanage. And so if you can find those team members that you can really trust, that can really take their group and drive those initiatives forward, it makes having those two remote offices a lot easier. In terms of our leadership styles, I tend to be a lot more direct. And we have a really strong culture of open, honest, direct communication. And I think when you have, you know, that type of culture and that type of communication style across the organization, it really empowers people and it really ensures that everyone's driving towards the same vision. That's wonderful. And that's truly, it's exciting and hopeful, too, to hear as new companies come on that, you're, that you, as a, as a new business leader, really are building this, this wonderful business with just an amazing culture that that permeates it. So with that, before we before we run out of time, I hope you'll indulge me here, Richie, in what we're what we at Transaction Trending call our parting perspectives. It really gives our listeners a chance to hear, get a little bit more insight into our guests and a little bit around what makes you tick, a little bit. So with that, what was your first job? <laughs> uh, first job. So uh, as the child of, of two immigrant Mexican parents, I'm no uh, stranger to hard work. So I actually started off with three jobs uh, in high school that I had uh, over the course of two summers. Uh, I worked in retail at Zoomies, which is a skate shop. I'm from Southern California, so I really like the skater <laughs> attire. I also worked at Express, uh, sure. so I know way too much about different cuts of jeans. <laughs> uh, and, then I, <laughs> and then I also worked... Uh, at the Salvation Army Youth Center, where I was a, a youth count, uh, counselor for the uh, the summer camp, uh, mm-hmm. where I was actually raised at. So uh, I stayed bu- I stayed busy for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, indeed. So we're in payments. What was the last thing you paid for in cash? Ooh, great question. Uh, I would say I was in LA recently uh, for a friend's wedding, and I got a haircut, and they were a cash-only barber shop, which I was shocked. But there's a lot of chunks of L.A., surprisingly, that are very much cash-only. Huh. 
Interesting. And finally, the best piece of advice you've ever received. It can be personal, professional. The one thing that, you know, as a business leader, as you move forward in your career, you're at a fork in the road and you always think back or reflect on this this piece of advice. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, okay, I got one. So I think um, when I think back on, on, you know, tidbits of advice I've gotten, I always think back on my mom, and every day before I got dropped off at school, she would open the door, and before I was able to leave, she would always give me the same advice. Be bold and be brave. Every single day that she would drop me off, and I think that's something that I've taken throughout my entire life. Oh, well, a shout-out to your mom for that. That's, that's wonderful <laughs> and significant and meaningful, and you've been so generous with your time. Um, Richie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Richie Cerna for joining us on the podcast. Fall is here, and that means ETA is going to be in San Francisco soon. Please make sure you join us for Transact Tech San Francisco at the Wells Fargo Connection Center on November 18th in the heart of downtown San Francisco. We're focusing on software and SMBs this year, and the agenda is shaping up to be a really impressive one. So please visit www.electran.org to register. Transaction Trending is going to be joined by some more incredible guests from our industry this fall, so do make sure you've subscribed if you haven't already. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. For ETA, I'm Amy Zirkel. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Transaction Trending, a podcast powered by the Electronic Transactions Association. ETA is the leading trade association for the payments industry, representing over 500 payments technology companies worldwide. This episode was produced by Laura Hubbard and Patrick Nolan. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Patrick Nolan. For more information on the Electronic Transactions Association, visit electran.org.